Blog Talk Radio. Writing for 
a few years now, so it's going to be fun talking with Jesse. He is on that West Coast time. He's calling us from Cali. He's calling us from, you know, that 3.05 in the afternoon time out there. Um, and then, as I mentioned, then we'll have our guy Cameron Mills on. So we're flipping it around a little bit, but we're still going to cover a ton of stuff like we always do. Well, the people, fans of the show know how we do. We we like to to cover a whole lot of stuff. So uh, another good show lined up for tonight. Yes, and here is our man Jesse Reed calling from the West Coast. He is the the managing editor at SportsNot.com. Uh, written about the NFL forever. I've kind of crossed paths with him, writing for a long time. Jesse, man, welcome to Cast Talk Wednesday with. Benny Hardy and my man Terry Brown, Mr. TV himself. Appreciate you hopping on the show with us, sir. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Hey, a little chilly up this way. I'm in I'm in Tennessee, Terry's in Louisville, Kentucky. We got some snow. School is out, been playing outside with the kids, that kind of thing. I'm gonna assume it's a little bit warmer where you are. I'm sure it's warmer. We've had some uh, pretty inclement weather, though, coming through, but we need it really bad. We need uh, lots and lots of water out here. Uh, it's got the sun yeah. peeking through right now, though, so the day's turning into a beautiful day over here. So what, tell us, give me the name of your town and what city are you close to in California? I'm about uh, 10 miles from Sacramento. I'm going towards okay. the foothills up to Reno. It's in a town called Rockland. Cool, 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 cool. I went to San Francisco once as a kid. I was about six. So I like to get back out there as a grown-up. Northern California, Southern California, the whole, the whole state. I want to run here and see the whole state as a adult. But that's still on the to-do list for me. Yeah, it's a great state. Uh, there's so much to do all the time, and uh Pretty lucky to be out here, except it's expensive. It's crazy to live here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We, we heard about the cost of living out there for sure. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, some NFL playoffs. We got you know, Championship Sunday coming up. Um, just finished the divisional round. Looking back at the divisional round, was there a game that you were more excited about than all the rest? I think that I'm probably going to answer just like everybody else. The uh, Packers and Cardinals game, pretty much one of the best games I've ever witnessed. Um, you know, it, it was just a gut-wrenching affair. Both teams laying it all out on the field. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, that pass from his end zone on four, what was it fourth down and 20 uh, right before overtime and to keep the drive alive and then that Hail Mary – you know, just to get it there. And then <laughs> the coin flip and then Larry Fitzgerald, man. I mean, it just didn't get any better than that. It was just, it had everything. It had full drama and uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. And I have a feeling it was probably one of the most popular games in a long, long time. Uh, lots of people watching. It, yeah, exactly. When you've got two teams playing at such a high level, that's what I think, people really like about the NFL playoffs. It's just it's one game and you move on, and that's the yeah. appeal. But then you can see 
like you're talking about Aaron Rodgers, just make those plays that kind of make your jaw drop. Like one of those, where were you? We saw that kind of moment. Absolutely. We got a lot of those this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You, you kind of knew that after the, the absolute spanking that Green Bay took out there, especially in the second half, um, where the Packers' offensive line was just eating alive. You know, they sacked Rodgers okay. nine times. They were they were chewing the backup up just to to let him take some of the the beating to to save Rodgers. You know, finish out the season. You knew Green Bay would you know have some pride. They had some guys coming back on that offensive line healthy, so you knew that that whooping was still fresh on their minds. But uh, they they still accounted for themselves very well and. I mean, they, it was a stalemate at halftime. They, they played tough. Uh, they showed more than I thought, given the issues and, and the skid they were kind of on to, to finish things out. And then you lose Randall Cobb uh, early in the game you know, this past weekend, too. Yeah. The injuries they suffered this year were absolutely brutal, um, especially offensively. I mean, it all started with Jordy Nelson. Um, and to to get to where they got and to almost have a chance to win that game with I mean, he didn't have anybody out there. Uh, what was it, Jeff Janis? He was his tar- top target, and nobody knew. Who's Jeff Janis, right? Nobody in the world knew what, who Jeff Janis was, and uh, it's just the the beauty of Aaron Rodgers, man. He's so, so darn good. Uh, he knows how to do just about everything. He's uh, one of the best at the line, reading the defense before the snap. He can move around in the pocket. He can escape the pocket. He can make every throw in the book. I mean, the Hail Mary, he was almost getting sacked. Uh, he's just a tremendous player, but hats off to him. They just didn't have enough. It it, it reminded me because you know I'm I'm getting old like Vinny, but it reminded me <laughs> of like Dan Marino and some of those Dolphin teams that they didn't have much of a running game, and you know once the the Marx brothers are gone, you really couldn't pick out a Dolphins receiver, but somehow <laughs> he kept getting to the playoffs with those teams. <laughs> and it was just, you've got a great quarterback with these receivers you've never heard of, and that really shows you just how great uh, Aaron Rodgers is. Truly. Speaking of running backs, what about Eddie Lacy and uh, Mike McCarthy? <laughs> he can't play at that weight next year. <laughs> yeah. That's like, that's it's like the first word that out of his mouth. That that's the first word out of his mouth once the season is over. Pretty, I mean, Eddie's <laughs> got to lose the weight. <laughs> He looked like a meatloaf running around out there, man. Twitter was having fun with him on that, that 61-yard run. You know, you heard guys saying, you know, when, when <laughs> guys that wear number 70 are, are running down a guy that wears number 20, something's wrong with that, you know. And, and that was the longest run in yeah. his career, but was, people still were, were giving him some grief about it. <laughs> Rightly so. <laughs> Al, now, give us your thoughts. Let's flip up to uh, – Kansas City, New England. Andy Reid catches it again for the clock management stuff. Uh, Chiefs were hot up on 11 straight and were pretty much, I mean, they were down, but never led in Foxborough. And, you know, uh, the ending brought back a lot of memories for, for Philly fans and some new ones there for Chiefs uh-huh. fans, I guess you'd say, right? <laughs> yeah, it was almost the exact same thing. 
But did you guys know that it was actually uh, the new Eagles coach, Doug Peterson? He's the one that uh, he took responsibility in his opening press conference. I think it was yesterday and said, I'm the one that was calling all those plays. I, I, that was me. I was the one that had responsibility for running that drive. And I'm just thinking, oh, man, Philly fans do not want to hear that. I mean, <laughs> that's just the last thing they want to hear. Well, it, and it was just a lack of urgency. That's, that's what sh- just strikes me about some of these end-of-game situations. It's like, you, you, you know there's a clock, right? This isn't baseball where you can extend the game. There's a finite amount of time. But there was there was little to no hustle uh, out of Kansas City from what I saw. I mean, I'm no football coach. I'm just gonna, what I saw on my couch watching it. It's like, don't they know they need to hurry up a little bit? It was really bad, <laughs> for sure. Definitely. So, um, and then of course the other matchup, uh, we we had Pittsburgh and Denver. You know, banged up Pittsburgh. Uh, Peyton Manning coming off of a bye. Uh, and then Pittsburgh, you, know, you talk about a team that's shorthanded holding up well, much like Green Bay. Pittsburgh, no leading rusher, no leading receiver. And if um, I forget all those things, the running back doesn't fumble you in, you kind of wonder if the outcome is still the same. Absolutely. Um you know, in hindsight, too, it, what really ticked me off at the end was uh, a couple of was the next day or the day after the Broncos players talking trash about uh, Ben Roethlisberger, saying that he was faking it. It was he was never injured. And, uh, you know, you look at his stats and it's like, OK, yeah, he had way over 300 yards. He had a pretty decent percentage. But you look back at the tape and a lot of those were after the catch and he, he got hitting guys wide open. And when he tried to fit the ball in tight, he didn't have it. Um you know, he could throw the ball, but his his shoulder was numb, so he wasn't feeling that pain, and it's not like he was dangling by one or two ligaments there. Um, I thought that was kind of classless by the Broncos going after him. You know, he's sitting there at home in defeat, and they're poking at him some more, saying this guy was a faker, and clearly, to me, he didn't have it. I mean, he gutted it out like he always does, and there have been, you know, the rumors of, Bill, uh, what was it, uh, Brian Billick saying that he's a drama queen and all that, uh, I don't know. I've been watching him his whole career, and I've always admired how he pushes through his injuries. And, okay, maybe he's not going to be totally stoic and not, you know, act like he's not hurt at all. But the guy is taking – I mean, how many ankles has he played on where you can't even hardly see him? It's like black and blue. You can't even hardly walk, and he's out there slinging it around. Uh, I thought that was pretty messed up. He held up so well. Um, Martavis Bryant, I mean, we all knew he was a stud already. And then we got that Sammy Coates. He had one catch for 11 yards before the game, and he tore it up. Um, but a lot of that was after the catch, and so you can't really give that all on Big Ben. He was hurt, man. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan, and my first thought was, well, when they were playing Cincinnati, it's, it's a Tony Romo situation. Now, he was able to come back in, and uh-huh. and for a long time, he dinked and dunked and didn't really try to go downfield. But, you know, that's – you know, Shoulders and quarterbacks, you, know, you can't really, you know, they don't joke about that. <laughs> that's their, that's their, no. uh, that's their, their livelihood. You know, they throw the ball. So, you know, I, I didn't really see the point in Pittsburgh doing that, especially when Pac-Man Jones was doing Pittsburgh the same way the week before with the Antonio Brown situation. Yeah, totally agree. We got Carolina and Seattle. A tale of two halves. 
That was the last West Coast team team from your region of the country. Uh, and, of course, they ended up being 31-24. Your thoughts on how, how that one played out? Well, it's so funny. You never really think about a field goal making a huge difference um, when you're down, what was it, 30? I think he was 24 or 31 to zip, and Pete Carroll decided to go for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal. And he didn't get it, and they ended up going into halftime zipped out. And a lot of people wonder, you know, if he had taken the points, the way they came out in that second half was total gangbusters. I think they scored, they almost matched what the Panthers did uh, with their first two touchdowns. And, you know, Luke Keekley capped off with a two-touchdown opener, and it was like four minutes into the game. And it wasn't quite that fast for the for the uh, Seahawks, but they came out blazing. And... um you know, Pete Carroll now, he's made some questionable decisions um, when it comes to game management. He's one of the best rah-rah guys. He's going to get his team prepared every single week. But you have to wonder, he's kind of like Mike McCarthy almost in this respect, where he keeps making these these questionable decisions when it comes to uh, game management. And I just wonder if they had gotten those points on the board in the first half, if that game might have flipped a little bit, because um, you, you never know. Momentum is a tricky little thing. And they ended up having none at all when they went in. And then, obviously, they almost came back. But it was just too much to overcome. But, you know, on the other side of this, you have to look at the Panthers. This is now the second time now the Giants did it, and they almost won uh, later in the regular season. I can't remember which week it was, but it wasn't that long ago. And now we see it again. You know, the Cardinals are a level above. Uh, You give them some chances in the second half. As long as Carson Palmer's not throwing interceptions out there, they're going to get the job done. So they cannot have another letdown like that, or they will lose. And and Carolina did it against against Green Bay at home. Uh, you mentioned the Giants. I want to say the Colts. Maybe they they have got you know teams just on the canvas, you know, ready for the you know to step on their neck, so to speak. Uh, and they've had a, a tendency to to give teams life and endings have been more interesting than, than they should have. You had Cam Newton in his press conference talking about everybody's butt tight, players, coaches, and all. And you know, gotta gotta finish it off, even if you start off blazing. Uh, I, um, Terry says we're old. I'm, I don't know, maybe we are. But my thought went to, you know, when when Houston got up on Buffalo. Uh, back in the day in the AFC title game, uh, and ended up losing like 41-38. You know, both the Bills fans were coming back into the stadium. And I'll never forget it when like, Buffalo scored to go ahead. The look mm-hmm. of Warren Moon's face. He, he slammed down his cup of Gatorade. He's like, we, we put so many points on the board, and it's all for naught now. And now we got to try to reignite ourselves to, to get the lead back. And, of course, it didn't happen. For a split second, that that went through my mind. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Come on now, Cam. (laughs) They did just enough to keep that clock moving in in the fourth quarter, but it was tight. I mean, (laughs) Russell Wilson, man, I'm a Niners fan, and so I kind of can't stand the guy, except I really admire him. Um, Whatever he does off field, whatever, that's his own business, and I could care less. But on the field, man, I respect that guy so thinking much. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people want to point at what he does off the field. I have no idea what he does off the field. He, he seems like a really stand-up guy to me. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, guys like him and Cam and Cap, 
they get all this criticism, man, and I, I kind of wonder about that, but that's kind of a topic for another day. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> yeah, falls, yeah, he falls out. He never gives up, man. He he's always in the game. He was out there yelling at his guys right before the second half, like we're gonna win this thing, we're gonna win this thing. And you know that's rare. That's kind of a rare breed right there. And uh, I'd want him on my team. It, you know, <laughs> he's never gonna leave Seattle, but if he ever did, man, come down to San Francisco. Cause that's that's rare. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna talk about San Francisco in just a second. Um. Let me get your thoughts real quick on, on the final four. Who do you think wins the two title games? And then we'll, we'll talk about those Niners real quick. Sounds good. Well, I got uh, New England over Denver. And the reason is Denver's defense isn't going to have time to give to Tom Brady. You saw what happened. Okay, yes, the Chiefs were a little depleted. Uh, their edge rushers are a little banged up. But they got a really good defense. And Brady and his receivers made them look bad, just really bad. <laughs> so many, so many times they scored touchdowns. I think three of the first six drives, the game was pretty much over. Um, yes, Tom Brady has struggled in Denver, but they're running at such a, a uh, precise pace right now. They they know what they're going to do. Everybody's on the same page. That's why Brady can win with nobody. You know, Edelman. He's not like the wonder kid, but with Brady, they're to, they're amazing together. And then, of course, Gronk's in his own world. And I just don't see how Peyton Manning's limited arm strength is going to present much of a different challenge at all compared to like what we saw with Alex Smith, because both those guys have a hard time pushing the ball down the field, and Bill Belichick's defense is great at locking down. So I got uh, New England in that one, and I don't know, man. I'm so split on the other one because – I think if Carolina can actually play up to its potential and not choke and just play loose the whole game, that they got this. Because they have the most complete team in the league. Um, but if they, if that defense, which has given up 300-plus in the last three games, if they keep on kind of letting the lead slip, the Cardinals are going to get them. So I, I'm going to go ahead and go with the Panthers, but I'm a little bit split on it. This was the game I wanted to see. I was just – I, you know, I was like, as long as Green Bay is, is out of the equation, Arizona-Seattle, to me, would have been off the chain. I said it last week on the show. Arizona-Carolina line is going to be great as well. I mean, don't disrespect Green Bay, but Arizona and whoever won the last week in the division in NFC was must-see for me. Um, I'm going to go Patriots-Panthers. I'm going chalk all the way to number one seed getting uh, into the Super Bowl. And now I'm going to get a glimpse for punishment real quick because, uh, as I mentioned before you guys came on, we crossed paths back at a previous site we used to write for. We used to write extensively about the 49ers. Terry here, TB, is a diehard 49ers fan. So let me let y'all just chop it up. Uh, Chip Kelly, I've seen Terry tweet about that. Uh, and haven't heard his thoughts yet since we've been on the air since it went down last week. So let me just—I'm just gonna sit back and let two Niners fans go at it, and I'm gonna try not to stab myself. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> well, uh, the Chip Kelly hire—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm lukewarm just because of what kind of went down in Philly. Um, 
I really don't know what the, the 49ers front office is trying to do. I'm, I am confused. Uh, I, my, my Facebook reminded me it was just three years ago we went to the Super Bowl, and it, yet it seems like it was – may, we may as well be talking about Montana and Steve Young, to be honest with you. It just seems so long ago. These last two seasons have just been so brutal. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I'm underwhelmed uh, by the hire, but we'll see. I'm, uh, I wrote an article on it, and, and basically what I said is, and I keep, I'm at the same point, I'm cautiously optimistic because this guy can straight up coach offense. He can make an offense work if he has the right pieces, but I'm questioning whether or not the Niners have the right pieces up front um, because the offensive line was obviously an abject disaster this past year. And we got Alex Boone probably going to be taken off to free agency. Uh, I don't see him coming back. He's been really upset with the franchise for the last couple of years. So who are we going to get to block out front? You got Carlos Hyde, and he's a great zone read runner, and he fits perfectly into Kelly's system. Um, but you know you got to have blockers up front because we saw the same thing happen in Philly this year. They went three point nine yards per carry all year, which is pretty bad. Yeah, and. and- I'm still just upset that, that Harbaugh was, was shown the door. You know, my thing is you've got to make that work until the wheels fall off because you just don't know, particularly in the NFL, you don't know when those doors are going to close. You know, you, we, we talked about, you know, the Packers and, and Rodgers is, is playing great, but, you know, they haven't been able to squeak back into the Super Bowl. So you just don't know yeah. how long those windows stay open and when you kind of implode from the inside, it's just so frustrating. Well, I agree to a certain extent, except I've been watching Harbaugh for a long time, and what I've observed is that he, there's a threshold uh, where it's good, it's good, it's good, and then, okay, that's too much. You've reached your limit, and you can't have any more Harbaugh. <laughs> He's the most <laughs> relentless man on the face of the planet. And, you know, even, like, Alex Boone was outspoken, and other guys, I'm sure, spoke to media uh, on you know anonymous basis about how they're frustrated because he he's just he's great for college. You get him in there for three, two, three years, four years, and you ship him off. But when you got a team that you're building in the NFL and nobody's going anywhere, you know, too much. Um, I feel like he burned them out. Um, so I think that in that respect, for the players' point of view. It was just a little too much, and then I know him and him and Balky just like fire and ice. Um, they just they clashed really bad, and they couldn't make it work. So it stinks, but at the same time, I don't think it was sustainable to begin with, just because of how the guy works. Uh, that's my take on Harbaugh, um, and I'm curious to see how Chip Kelly and Balky can relate. They both like the same things from a football perspective, as far as how to build a team and the kind of players that they're looking for. Uh, but can they get along? That's going to be a different story. We'll see about that. We're talking with Jesse Reed, editing manager at SportsNot. Tell us about the hatch where some of the content you're putting up on the site. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, we're just uh, it's a little old site. Uh, we got, I think, six writers now. Um, we're part of the Yard Barker Network, and that means that um, 
a lot of our content gets syndicated through Yard Barker to MSN.com and FoxSports.com. Um, we're we're really good at NFL content. That's kind of our our forte. We're trying to get into some more NBA action. Um, we do some Major League Baseball. Hockey's kind of not our thing. <laughs> um, and we try to just kind of – what we do is we, we do some lists here and there, and we try to cover the hottest topics that pop up and give our own take on, on what's happening. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's quite a challenge, and I'm so excited to be doing this for, you know, my career. It's kind of a dream come true for me. I see Mike Freeman following you, big-time NFL guy, big shot. Uh, I got Russell Bax. We've had him on the show. Uh, so a lot of big-time people checking you guys out. I'm going to follow you as well, SportsNot, on Twitter, SportsNot.com. And so, man, keep up the good work. And uh going to have you on, and I'll definitely look forward to having you again as well, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Vinny. I'm so glad you had me on. And uh, I'm sure that it's going to be an interesting weekend coming up. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be, going to be yeah. some two great games. Yep. Yes. And thanks for calling us from California, West Coast time, and, and adjusting to our 6 o'clock start. And appreciate you bringing the knowledge with us, Jesse. And we'd love to do it again sometime, man. That sounds great. Thanks so much, you guys. Take care. All right. That is Editing manager sportsnot.com and he brought all kind of knowledge concerning the NFL playoffs. We're going to keep the NFL playoff train rolling because our next guest is a guard, former guard for the University of Kentucky, three point assassin, Mr. Cameron Mills, has a website that bears his name, has a show that bears his name. We are privileged to write for this website. And the first thing we want to do is get his thoughts on Carolina and Arizona and then Denver and New England. That's what we bring in Cameron Mills on for the NFL Heat. How you doing, Cam? I'm well, fellas. How are you all? Doing great. Doing good. Good. Well, why don't, why don't we start? Let me ask you all a question. Can you explain in a few words why everyone's so upset at Cam Newton? Huh, well, <laughs> Jesse alluded to another topic for another day, and I've tweeted out some articles that, <laughs> what, man. What, well, you, you don't want to talk about it? Well, well, I, some of them do this black, and that's, that, I'm not one to say that a lot. I don't play that. No, you're not. You, some of you've never been. You know, there's an article from a guy in Mount Airy, which is, you know, a town that Mayberry was inspired by, Tom Joyce, who just wrote an article entitled Cam Newton's A Winner Who Was a Loser. He attacked Cam Newton for selecting the number one, as if that was some kind of cocky-concentrated <laughs> of Warren Moon wore number one back in the day. He also said that, uh. you know, the dance that Cam does is just over the top. Tom Brady quietly goes about his business. And he, he compared him to Brady. Have you seen Brady go nuts on the sideline? You know, but he is, you know, and this is, and this is why the Panthers are still undefeated. They're like 10-0 and 0 when this guy writes his article. Uh, Jamel Hill <laughs> tweeted it out and, and quoted it and said, if, if Cam Newton uh, 
climbed a tree and got a lady's cat down for her, people would rip him if they didn't do it fast enough. And that's basically some yeah. of the stuff you get. That's some of the flack you get. That's just me. Well, they would rip him if he got down out of the tree, saved the cat, and then was actually genuinely excited and thrilled that he was able to save the life of another living living thing. Because that's it's it's the it's been the no fun league for a long time, and I know that's cliche and everyone makes that joke, but you can't celebrate. He he does whatever he does fairly within the rules, and it's fun. I mean, these guys are they're they're grown men playing a sport for millions of dollars. Why wouldn't you be exuberant? Why wouldn't you be like this, especially after the season he's had? It's nuts. I I get some of the stuff at Auburn back, you know, where did he get money? Did he not? And stuff with his dad. That's yeah, but that a long time ago. I get, exactly, exactly. And it's like NFL fans that don't even keep up with Auburn, don't even now, know about it. Look, you know, Alabama fans were ripping, but it's it's totally every different. player, every player, every sport has their haters, has their you know people that don't root for them, that want the worst for them, that you know believe every rumor that comes around about them. But that's not what this is. This is he's going to have that no matter what. But this is, you know, you, you mentioned articles. You know, I think I saw the headline of one today calling his dance classless. So much more of what goes on in the NFL is classless other than celebrating a touchdown. It's just insane. But anyway, I didn't want to get you guys off topic. Let's, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I, I got that's a real that's curveball to throw, but go ahead, TB. I got a I got a big time curveball to throw before we talk hoops. But go oh, ahead, TB, because I, I talked all over top of you. So go ahead, man. No, you're you're fine. We talked about Cam Newton before, and you know I think there is a, a racial undertone to it. Yes, there uh, is. From and that, now, from but the, TB, and here's the thing, it, and and I don't want to interrupt, but here's the thing, and I Vinny, you know Vinny was reluctant to bring that up, and and I, I, you probably are too to some degree. But that is a component of it for some of these people. It's not a component of it for everybody, but it definitely is a component for some of these people. When Tubby was here, it, there were people, and I had conversations with them. I, I, I tell people all the time about a conversation I had with a lady at my grandfather's funeral. They didn't want Tubby, not the whole state, not even a, a majority, a very small minority – it was racial. They did not want a black man at the head of the University of Kentucky basketball program, and that's just that. That's where we are, and it's it's unfortunate. And it kind of it kind of you sit back and you think, God, aren't we beyond that? And there are some, and apparently they're just able to they're able to write articles to get some traction. So yeah, it, it, the title, the ninety-eight title, was the best and the worst thing to tell you at the same time. Absolutely right, and it, and it was it it was great that he wanted, and he also because he didn't go back soon enough, and even at Kentucky, look if he had gotten here and not won that, it had been here eight years and hadn't got to a Final Four, it, it would have been the same ending. Um, actually, he may have been dismissed more so than just getting frustrated and walking away. So, either way, if he makes it to one or two more, 
in his tenure, his whole era, I think, is looked at differently by the fans. Well, and and you know, I mean, you think about how close he was to getting back to one or two more. I mean, in elite eight games where a sh- one shot just doesn't fall. And a lot of games come down to one moment, one shot, one turnover, one free throw. But in order to win the championship, you've got to be in the Final Four. And in, in order to get in the Final Four, you've got to be then late. You've got to be relevant. You know, you've, we've seen what Cal's done. Cal, everyone thinks we get all excited at the beginning of every recruiting year when we get these number one recruiting classes. And we think, you know, we believe, we talk ourselves into, we're gonna be, we're, we're going back to the Final Four. Everyone starts buying their, reserving their hotels and buying their, um, their Final Four tickets at the beginning of the year. It's hard to do what these guys have done. I mean, what Cal's done, you know, is amazing. Getting what's he's been to four, one championship, two final games, and four final fours in six years. Is that right? Yes. That's insane. That is insane. And, and the problem I have with some of his detractors, even those in blue and white, uh-huh. all of a sudden final fours have become just trivial matters. <laughs> well, like. Like last year's team, I hear a lot of people saying, "Well, that 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 team was a failure." And I'm like, "You get to the Final Four, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty good run, and get there undefeated." I mean, I understand they didn't win the title, but come on, right? You know, well, like what, sense, what are you looking for? In that sense, well, you know what they're looking for, TV. In that sense, they failed. They did not win the national championship, and that is that was the goal. The goal was, you know, and. Uh, I guess the goal was to go 40-0. I don't know. I was never part of those conversations. I hate that goal. Um, not that you don't go out and try to win every game. You absolutely do. But, you know, the goal is the championship. And so many times we get into this position where we have been so spoiled as Kentucky fans. And you, it, just if you do the math, and I think I probably brought this up to you guys before, 114 years of of Kentucky basketball, and we've only won eight national championships, but we expect it every year. And I kind of understand, and I've kind of come to the point this year, and, you know, it's looking more and more like, and, you know, none of us as fans should ever say, you know, they're not going to do something special this year because of what happened two years ago, because that team lost eight, was an eight seed. Everyone wrote them off, and they turned it on. Something happened, something clicked, and and that's really, Mm -hmm. if you've got the talent, you've got a fresh team, meaning a whole bunch of guys that never played together before. You just need something to click, and something clicked. And maybe something will click this year. But it, it, it's getting to the point where it's number one recruiting class after number one recruiting class after number one recruiting class, and you just – you kind of – and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of doing this, where I sit back and think, I feel like we should have one more than we do. And then I have to remind myself how hard it is to do – what they've already done and what they try to do every year. And, and, and my thing is, when you look at when you step t- take a step back, and I have this conversation with Louisville fans all the time that they say Cal should have more titles, a different coach would have more titles. Right. Uh, already having those four Final Fours in this this short a time span, he's on the short list with John Wooden and Coach K in college mm-hmm. basketball. I mean that right there. And, you know, we have seen Coach K lose ga- and Duke lose games that they probably shouldn't have lost. The same way with Cal. It's just, you know, people look at the Auburn game, how can we lose that game? And I'm like, you right. don't understand basketball. When you're at home and you're playing way above your head, 
yeah, you can lose yeah. that game. I mean, that, yeah. I certainly can understand that. For these people, this is an unforgivable loss and this, that, and the other. No. <laughs> I, I'm not with that. I, I wrote an article that said, you know, this team is flawed and probably more, right. you know, one of those flawed teams that Cal has had. But even yep. a flawed team can put it together, mitigate those flaws, and still have a, a decent run. And we have seen that. Cal has done it. You know, people say, well, yeah. how do you see this team working? I was like, I didn't see 2011, that Final Four. I didn't see us getting to the uh, championship game in 2014. No, I, I couldn't how he did it. I just know he did it, and I'm going to have faith that he'll do it again. Well, look, we're in the, we're in the yeah. very fortunate position to have the talent that needs to click as opposed to a team that is not talented clicking. I mean, a team that's not talented clicking – playing like a team and you know they can do something in the, at the end of the season but they can't do that you, you've got to have both and so we know we've got the talent now we just need the psychology we need we need something going on in those in those um in in the heads of these kids and really and i guess a lot of fans are probably saying i don't know that i would disagree with them in the hearts of some of these kids something needs to click there where they're coming out and it is it is it is all you have for 40 minutes. It's the most intense 40 minutes of your, well, three or four days until you play another one. This is all you have. This is all you do. This is, you know, I, I hate to say eye of the tiger because that is so cliche, but that's what it is. It is nothing matters other than this right now, and we're going to destroy this team. Yeah, and and not to over-talk you here, Vinny, but when, you know, here we are getting old, when I look back at those great teams that you played on, Cameron, I just remember that for 40 minutes, Homer Road, you guys went out to either quiet the uh, opposing uh, crowd or to fire up the Rupp crowd, and it was just from tip to horn, just we're going at 100%. And I know that those teams you were on were, were older, had you know older players. Uh, A lot of maturity, so I think, yeah. and I And I think that that's what's kind of missing is, and, and people say, you know, these kids can't look past Auburn. And my thing is, you're McDonald's All-American. You, you you come to Kentucky. Naturally, you know, going to Auburn, okay, I'm not saying they overlooked Auburn, but I don't think you get to the same level as you would when you see Duke across the chest, that kind of thing. I think that kind of mentality comes with with age. And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes – you know, Cal gets these teams that that have younger players uh, that kind of miss that older person to kind of get everybody fired up. Well, you think about what we had in, in the for the championship. We had a Darius Miller who'd been there four years, who wasn't inconsequential. He played. He got significant minutes. He is, and maybe this is the role Tyler will play more than anything, other than being our most consistent offensive player. Is he, he's the guy who just will not let them. And you see him, you see it bothering him. You know, so many times you, you just know he is getting so frustrated with these guys, but that's what a leader does. That's what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, and, and what we're seeing with these teams, the so-called, you know, flawed bad teams, this is what a team is supposed to look like Yeah, uh, with, with new players. You know, everybody's getting on scout. Well, this is what a freshman, a freshman should look clueless. We're right, just so used is, to the Anthony Davis's coming in. That's right. And just that's right. Being at this ridiculously high level, we're 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 not used to quote unquote projects, which a lot of freshmen are. When, when, well, you, when you look at this, it, nobody 
and no one we tried to said we tried to brace ourselves for this when I mean all you heard over the summer this team's gonna lose some games. This team's gonna lose some games. They're only the elite teams in college basketball. Everybody told themselves that, but yet when you still see them dropping some games, it's still harder to accept than everybody thought. Even though you tried to brainwash yourself and, and realize the exception to the rule. And and that's what we do with everything. You know, we we've heard it, and I'm sure Cam, you've heard it. People talking about. You know the '96 team, the 2012 uh-huh. team, last year's team. Those are exceptions. You know, yeah. if if well, we were to compare every team to that '95 '96 team, which I still think is one of the best teams I have ever seen, mm-hmm. that's a pretty high standard. Those guys well, were juniors I mean, and seniors and been through some battles, and they did some things uh, that we haven't seen before or since. So making that your your kind of bare minimum, I think, is is really unfair. Well, I, I think here's, here's the way we have to look at it. It, it, it. You have to kind of compartmentalize it. As fans, we want, we expect, you know, them to win a championship every year. As unrealistic as that is, that, that is re- honestly, that's the expectation of, of everybody, and that's the desire of everybody. On the other hand, you look at this in TV, you're right, and, you know, these are 18-, 19-year-old kids who are this particular group of them, have the have the unfortunate uh, problem of following Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, some guys who came in and we got more of. I, I don't know if it's fair to say we got more from them than we thought we would, but you know, look, nobody, no one had Scal as a project, and he's turned right. into a bit of a project. And you know what? Here's the deal. That's fine. I'll hang on to him for two or three more years. Are you kidding me? That's that, well, Absolutely. Let's build this kid into a juggernaut or let Cal do it. But the thing is, and this is the trick and this is what I worry about, is the psychology. You know, now today he came out in the press conference and was all smiles and talking about he's not worried about all that stuff anymore and, you know, maybe he's turned a corner. But, you know, he's going to feel that pressure. Maybe he comes out and has a, a all-American game against Arkansas, game where he falls, which he will mm-hmm. because it happens. You have those letdown games, you know. Then what is you know? Are, is can he keep his head held high? Not that he look. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's not dropped his head the way the Harrison twins used to. But you know, it's eating on him. And so you just kind of hope he can hang in there and just weather the storm. Because what we're asking of him, we we don't really ask in normal circumstances of college basketball where you have at least three years to grow into a man and to grow into – to understand how to play the game. He doesn't get that benefit, and it isn't fair. But the positive part for us may be that we get to hang on to him for a year or so, and maybe maybe Cal can teach him and turn him into that. Definitely. Definitely. Let me throw my curveball real quick, and then I'll – Get back to some more basketball with you real quick, Cam. Talking with former Kentucky guard Cameron Mills on Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown. And, of course, uh, as everybody knows, you have the Mills Show on every Saturday from 10 to noon on Fox Sports 1580. Uh, in I happen to be listening. I try to, I try to catch it every Saturday at this podcast. I was on my way, I think, to Kingsport, North City, somewhere in the Trust City. And... This is Kurt Bob TV. I don't know if you're listening, but follow along. I'm on 
you know, give my, my man Cam a little comedy, give him a little grief. And Bo, the producer, played Prince, Let's Go Crazy. Okay, Terry, you with me? <laughs> right. And you know how it starts. You know, Dearly Beloved, we got it, all of that. And No, I don't. Cam, I Cam thought it was... <laughs> I can't say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bite. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna take bait. Uh, no. Cam thought it was Keith Sweat. Cam thought it was Keith Sweat. And then you know, both of them know that. Oh my Prince gosh! I confuse. And, I confuse and, Keith Sweat with Prince. It, it's like. It's like and, confusing. It's like confusing Beethoven with with the Beatles. <laughs> and so both both of them is Prince. Cam is like, look, man. You know, I'm not gonna say you're right. Somebody said, look, you got to start it at a point where I know the song. Don't be right. with the we intro gotta, and then get when to we the come, hook. There we go. When we come back from the break, let's bump <laughs> the chorus, not the verses. So Cam then says, you know, in his defense, he said, I can't remember your exact words. I should have looked back on my timeline. You said that your, your upbringing and your raising was the, the whitest, you were raised in the whitest uh-huh. environment as possible, something to that effect. And so I tweet you Very and much say, so. Considering the the whiteness of your raising and, and the environment that you grew up in, I'm I'm trying to pick you up. I give you props. I say I give you props to know who Keith Sweat was. All right. So he tweets me back to me. I know about Keith Sweat, R. Kelly, Ralph Trenton, Guy, and I'm like, oh snap! Cameron's just rattling off all these R&B groups from the '90s. I'm like, wow. And uh, I said. <laughs> I said, oh, snap, and then he, he lists some more. Um, you know what I'm and I said, now you're just showing out. Then he, then he named Teddy Pendergrass. He went old school, went like my uh, nah, dad old school. I, I, I do and like, I'm like, man, I now you're like just overachieving. He said, TT. I was like, man. <laughs> and so Cam dropped all these groups to let me know that he knew some R&B, right? I'm like, okay, all right, Cam, my bad, my fault. And so the next time Bo plays a song, he plays Keep Sweat. I think it was Twist by Keep Sweat. And as soon as the beat starts, Cam goes, now I know this one. This one is R. Kelly. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, he didn't. He didn't just undo all the good he did by saying R. Kelly and Keep Sweat. Now, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Vinny, and that was actually I, – I remember that. That was fun actually going back and forth with you on Twitter while that was going on. But what I can confess to you now is that I had heard of approximately half of those um, musicians or groups that I was listing off there on Twitter or on the radio. Um, Bo had come in and given me a list to read out. A list so that was all to read out. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. He, he gave me – he even dropped Ralph Tresvant on me TV. So I, I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. man, he really. I'm like, okay, then, Kim. Well, and he said, right, wasn't there somebody named Guy? G U I? G U I? There was yeah, some, the, somebody. The guy. He said, the guy. And I, and I said, Guy who? Group. What, what's his last name? <laughs> what, what's, but now listen, whatever, whatever street cred I lose in my lack of true R&B knowledge, does it, the fact that I've got Mark Morrison bumping Return of the Mac every that's top of the hour, does that not make up for a little? That is. Because that, that's right there from that era, too. Because I get that. And the reality is, if I had spent any time listening to those those musical acts and the guys that you're talking about, 
Here, here's the one thing in music I don't get yet, and I want to because so many other people get it, and it's such a, a cool thing, is jazz. I, I, I want to get jazz, and I appreciate the musicianship. I appreciate the, you know, I appreciate the fact that these people have mastered, truly mastered their instruments and can just get up there and for three hours without music, without really a plan, just their talent, they can just go. I adore that. But I don't, I don't get in my car and put on jazz. I want to rock or I want to sing or, I, I, you know, you just – there's something about music that's powerful, whatever that power is. It's the power to make you mad, the power to make you happy, the power to make you sad, the power to break your heart. Jazz just doesn't have that for me because – and maybe it's because there's – you know, in a lot of it, it's just instrumental. But yeah. there are some instrumental songs that can actually tear me down. But for some reason, and I want to get this, I, I, I want to understand and appreciate jazz, but I'm just not there yet. But I'll, I'll tell you this about jazz, the, the best jazz kind of groups, if you will. To me, jazz is the equivalent to basketball, where yeah. you've got guys that know each other, and yep. you know the, the drummer knows, okay, this is my time to step up. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, you get your get your horns going, you get your guitar, and 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 for me, there's that ebb and flow. That is one reason I'm a such yes. a huge basketball fan is because, and, and Cameron, I know you know, and, and Vinny knows, uh, when you're playing basketball, you've been playing with some guys for a while. It, it doesn't even matter what the play is. You no. you just know, you just feel. If I get here, this will happen, or yep. I need to look. This spot because I know, you know, this my my, my teammate will be right there, and yeah. for me, when you watch like especially live jazz where it's not yes uh, now scary I love just like that. I do love live jazz, and there is a tremendous difference to me between on the record, on the CD, on the tape, on the A track, what have you, and live. If I'm sitting there watching these men and women master their instruments, I can I'm I'm in heaven. I can watch it all day. But it, there's, there is so much of it to me that's lost through the speakers, through, you know, through the, through your, um, uh, through the car, car dashboard, or through, even through in your living room. If you're just having one of those nights where, and I, I understand people have these nights all the time, where they just sit down, the TV's not on, and they just listen to jazz. And that, is a, right. that idea is so foreign to me, to sit still, listen to jazz. Now, in, in, the, in the hall, I love it. Absolutely love it, and I, I, I desire to go do it. But it's just, it, it's I, I want to see them play. And you're right, TB. The other thing, they're so masterful over what they do. They've got so much experience, so much know-how. It's not even like you know Wayne Turner and I. And it's not something we ever planned. It's just what happened. All he had to do, if he was coming down on a fast break, and I was either secondary or primary, if I was out in front of him. All he had to do was slightly glance to me. If he just – he did not have to look at me. He just kind of made this little thing with his eyes, which to me was communicating, I see you, Cam. You go get where I need you, which was in the corner. And if we're on a, if we're on a fast break, I'm, I, Wayne Turner's coming down. I'm in the corner because he is going to drive. He is going to at least get an angle um, on, his, uh, on his defender. 
and he's going to know that if he drives to my side, and he already knows what side I'm on because he gave me that look, I'm getting the ball. And, the, and you're right, Jimmy. It, it, it was, it, it's exactly what happens, except I don't even – watching some jazz musicians sometimes, there's no look. They just know. They, yeah. they feel it. It's, it's, oh, now it's my time, and now I'm going to go. And then it, 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 you know, it builds up, and then it calms down, and then, oh, now it's his time. And everyone knew. You know, you got I, – I was in New Orleans one time listening at um, uh, Snug Harbor, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the best place in New Orleans to go listen to jazz, believe it or not, because it's, it's where all – it's low-key, and people go there to actually just to listen to music. And there were, like, there were 14 people on stage. And no one looked – I mean, there was no direction. There was no, you know, my man right here is going to do something for you now. You know, there was none of that. No, no, they just went, and two hours later they were done. And they didn't miss a beat. Yeah. I'm going to put out a link real quick. Uh, it's not going to be the same because it's not live, but it's a, a, a jazz song that Grover Washington wrote for Dr. J. So you got the jazz laced over Dr. J highlights on YouTube and like like the TV's point, you know, jazz and basketball just you know, that whole improvisational thing. But you gotta improvise in basketball. You know, you think it on the fly, it's graceful, it's athletic, it's just all this in the one and kind of the same thing with with that type of music. So Yeah. And real quick too, I got a I got a script here because last time you were on we talked about the Warriors, talked about Stephen Curry uh, talked about how you noticed him pulling his arm down before he was done, you know, turning around, yeah. running down the court. Uh, Shooting arrogant. He's, he's better, I mean, off to a better start this year than last year. Are you still seeing that? And, uh, you know, the what he's up to this year and the start he's gotten off Well, to be honest, I have not watched more than two minutes of an NBA game yet. Um, because, and you guys know this, we've got – the the the, radio, the the website the Cameron Mills Radio website is being completely redone. Um, got radio show stuff, uh, got ministry stuff, and then right now I'm in Atlanta um, to do a recruiting event. So I just haven't had this fall. I barely had time to watch Kentucky games, and haven't had any time to watch the NBA. Um, I hear he started Stevon started out pretty well, um, but to me, it, it, it always, it, what you're alluding to, it's the fascinating thing about what he does. And it's not just what he does. It's what a lot of shooters do. It's just it, I, there is such appreciation, at least, that I have for his, the way he has mastered his stroke that I, 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 you just, I, just, I love it. I mean, he, you, you know he has spent literally hours and days and weeks and months by himself in a gym with 50 basketballs, getting up as many shots as he can. I mean, there, there has been work that has been put into what he is doing. And to get to see the, the perfection of it on the court is so much fun. But as you were alluding to, Vinny, you get to that point, and, and I've gotten there too, whether it was in a practice or whether it was in um, my big game against Florida in 98, where you truly believe you can't miss and you start to play to the crowd and you start to, you lose your discipline, which is what made you great in the first place. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with having fun. And we talked about 
um, Cam at the beginning of this. But what bothered me is what Stefan started doing is he would release his shot and immediately, you know, the play wasn't over. Cam Newton celebrates when the play's over. Stefan was celebrating before the ball was halfway to the goal. And he started missing as a result of that because he just got, he started shooting arrogant. And I get it. I will tell you, there is nothing more fun than being on a basketball court and catching fire the way Steph, Stephen Curry's essentially caught fire for about a year and a half now, two years. There's nothing more fun. But that's when it, it's that way in, in life, in all sorts of things. You've got to find those times where everything's going so well. I'm excelling at whatever it is I'm doing. I need to kind of pull it back here a little bit and not get too far ahead of myself and kind of remember what got me here in the first place. And, and I feel like that's what he does sometimes. I got two more questions. I know you're busy, and, and we can talk about all this the next time we get together, but I'm, I'm just throwing them out there on the show real quick. You talked when we were – when we last time we played face-to-face about how your dad had you and your brother go out and get shots up, get your 500 jumpers up. So two-part question, do you believe that that – work or can you get bad habits when you do that and then you're just ingraining that into your stroke and secondly yes. is yeah. the Big 12 the best conference in the country I don't know if you've got to watch it much but what do you think about that and I'll shut up what, what sport in swimming, diving, what sport are we talking about with the Big 12 there? Basketball with, with Kansas and Oklahoma and West Virginia all ranked pretty high even though tons of Didn't teams Kansas are losing left and right. did Kansas just get beat by a, a team yeah. that had a losing record last night? And uh, even though their coaches, even well, okay, now they're yeah, um, but yeah, I yeah, I don't know about that. I don't I, I don't know. Here's what here's here's the deal with that one, Vinny. It doesn't matter what they are now. What matters is what they are April third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. That's that is what matters. True. Yeah. It, and it just and look, same thing for the Kentucky fans. Yes, it 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 smarted losing to Bruce Pearl. I mean, just as a general rule. You don't want to lose to Bruce Pearl, okay? It hurt. Yes, it made it worse that it was Auburn. Yes, it was embarrassing that they stormed the court on us. But it wasn't an unforgivable loss. I mean, truly, there's one unforgivable loss every year, and that's the last one you play. Everything else is towards that goal. So they've got a ways to go. We all see that. We know that. I'm not worried. Well, that's that's not fair to say I'm not worried. I'm not worried because I don't worry about this in general, but... I am more – there are things – they've got a lot further to go than any of us thought they did. But I think they can do it. And I was thinking about this the other day. How much – and I don't know if Cal looks at it as fun. But most coaches do. They have – and you can look at it this way. They have years, you know, two or three to build a team, to build their program. Cal is putting himself under the pressure. And like, I wouldn't change it, but he's putting himself under the pressure – every year of having to take the bad news bears and turn them into a final four team. Every year yeah. he's doing this to himself. And we tell our, we tell ourselves, Oh, there's so much talent on this team. We're going to get, you know, we're, we're, we, this is it. This is our year. Well, but that leaves out the component of these are 13 individuals who most of which have never played any amount of basketball together at all. And it's a team that plays. And so you have all the talent in the world, but if they don't, sense each other's movements, if they don't trust each other, it doesn't matter. And Cal, every year, every year Cal has to go through 
what he's going through right now. Last year may have been a slight exception, and 2012 may have been a slight exception. But he still, it may not have been as stressful as this one may be, but he still had to take a bunch of 13, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and teach them how to trust each other and teach them that we go further than you do. Teach them that scoring doesn't matter as much as your teammates' scoring matters. Teach them how to be a basketball team and not an AAU team. And he's every year, and I just wonder if he just doesn't relish that, of just the psychology and just the challenge of what am I going to have to say today to, well, let's just, let's just say Scout. What, what, what is it that I need to say? To, what do I need to impart to Scout today, you know, before practice? And then how many times in the middle of practice does he have 5,000 things he needs to impart? And how do I best communicate that to him? And I've got 12 other guys i got to do the exact same thing for. Communicate individually and bring them together as a team. I, I don't know. There's something about that that seems fun, even though it's, I know it stresses him, but we pay him very, very well. So. Yes, yes. Definitely. Well, I appreciate everything. Didn't mean to keep you that long. Like I said, we no, you're fine. But, uh, appreciate you taking time to top off from the ATL and appreciate everything you're doing on the site and putting us two little guys on there. You're welcome, guys. I love it. And by the way, now, you you both have homework assignments. Terry, you, oh, you're the last one. I, I got nothing from you yet, bud. I know. I know. I'm, I'm working on that tonight, sir. It's 50 to 75 words. You are a writer. How hard could this be? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's those it's those small assignments, it's those small word counts that, that get to you the most. So, but I, I, I'm working on that, sir. Hey, listen, and and you know, and you know how you've 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 solved that. You tweet. You you're used to you're used to deleting words and and finding better words all the time. So, yes, guys, sir. I love you. I, 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 I appreciate you. Appreciate you hopping on and and dropping knowledge and. Look forward to seeing you again, and thanks for everything. And look forward to hearing you Saturday on the Mill Show. Well, I won't be there Saturday. Johnny, Johnny's got oh. the uh, got the show under his control Saturday. I'll be on vacation, but he's he's he'll take care of it. But love you okay. guys, and I'll talk to you later. Thank hey, you, man. All right, babe. Appreciate it. Cameron Mills, former cat, current website owner, that bears his name. Radio show host and bears his name. The man is everywhere. Calling us from Atlanta to hop on the show and talk UK and talk Cam Newt and let us make fun of his lack of R&B skills. That was hilarious TV. Man, it's so funny because, I mean, you know, he, he said it was um, Keith Sweat with his Prince. Okay, that's, you know, Somebody who doesn't really know, you can give him a pass. And then when he hit me with all of those artists, with old stuff that he that he now revealed that he was beat off the list, I was like, wow, okay, okay. And then when he hit me with Teddy Pendergrass or Rob Trentman, I'm like, okay, he's legit now. And then the key sweat comes on and he says, is this, I know this is R. Kelly. <laughs> so I had to bust the shop. I had to give him a break. It was, it was hilarious. Uh, all in good fun. So he was a good sport for coming on and revisiting it and laughing with us about all of it. 
week. We've had two great guests. Just boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we get this quick break. Play a song from our friends Mouse and Mario. Uh, take our first break of the show. Listen to Cats Talk Wednesday with Benny Hardy and Terry Brown on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be back in a few days.
Welcome back to the show. Can't talk Wednesday. Alongside Terry Brown, Vinnie Hardy here. <clears throat> Just had two big time guests on. Jesse uh, Reed and Cameron Mills. Appreciate them both hopping on. And like I said, I'll be one for punishment. I knew I had to, to um, ask Jesse about about South Niners. Uh, he covered the Niners. We both wrote a police report there for a minute a few years back. And so he was always uh, going in-depth and dropping the hot pieces back in the day. This is pre-Harbaugh, pre-Cap, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the first part of Cap. I'm not sure, but uh, I knew the big nine guy out there in the West Coast, South Sacramento. So, you know, uh, not the first Niners fan that's been on where y'all can top it up and, and talk. What is it y'all wear? Is it golden red? Is it garnet and red? I don't even know what y'all's official colors are. But they had a Niners guy on it. I, I'm, I'll let you tell about it. Yeah, we had a really good first hour, definitely. Uh, and any time I can talk uh, 49ers, you know, that's, uh, that's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So, what's y'all's colors? Is it, is it just red and gold? Is it garnet and crimson? What is it? What is y'all? What do y'all call it? It, it? It's garnet and gold. Garnet. I mean, okay. No, yeah, you, you can. You, you, yeah, you can keep all this up, Mister uh, Mister Cowboys, <laughs> but uh, you 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 know what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, garnet and gold. There we go. For the record, official. Um, what about our guy, speaking of former cats, Devin Booker last night, barely shaving, dropping 32 for the Suns. Uh, they came up short against the Pacers, but, I mean, you know, 6 of 11, I think, from downtown, uh, 19 years old, and just hanging 30 in an NBA game like what nothing. Well, and that's that's the thing. Uh, Aaron Torres, who who uh, Torres, who wrote the the book on the the John Wall led uh, team, you know, tweeted out last night that probably we're going to look back in about four or five years, maybe a little bit longer, and it's going to be ridiculous how how deep and talented last year's team was, uh, because last night got to see uh, New Orleans take on Minnesota, so that was. Anthony Davis kind of schooling uh, Carl Anthony Towns a little bit uh, about that. Uh, you, you can't really watch the NBA and not get a Kentucky field board anymore. We've talked about it, and it's, it's only going to increase. Um, but definitely with Devin Booker putting up those numbers uh, last night, and he's been pretty solid this season. So it, it's uh, it's probably – unexpected that he would get that much, but he's been playing really, really well. And as we know as Kentucky fans, once he gets in a groove, you really can't knock him off that groove. Yeah. You sure can, because when it's locked, it's locked. And I hate that Eric Blitzel uh, is done for the season with the injury. And hate that the Suns haven't really had as good a year as you know, Kentucky fans rooting for Kentucky guys hope and and that Phoenix is hope for. You know, they 
were in, in the mix for the XC last year. Uh, they've had the little beef and issues. I think it's Marquise Morris, one out. Got mad with his brother Marcus, one of them. They both play for Kansas. One of them has been with Houston a couple times. They were playing together, and then he got mad when his brother got traded. That kind of stuff happened. So they've kind of been dealing with that. Um, there was little murmuring that, you know, you had Knight, let's all both want the ball. I don't know how much truth there was to that. But it's just a whole lot of stuff going on. Uh, still a lot of season left. Maybe they can get turned around because when you look at the standings, as bad as New Orleans started off, as of a couple of days ago, they were just four games out of the eight seed. You know, when they were playing on Monday, they were like four and a half games behind the Jazz, which is kind of unbelievable considering, I mean, they got off to a dreadful start. And if, if they get hot, you know, they can run somebody down and, and kick somebody out and have them on outside looking at these. Yeah, that, and I, I think Phoenix, there's just there's a lot going on right there. Yeah. And yeah. when particularly with, with basketball, you see the teams that have the most success, yes they have good players, yes they have good coaches, but there's an environment of um, I don't want to say success because that sounds a little silly, but from top to bottom the organization is in good hands. When you look at uh what they've done in San Antonio, you know, that has been yes Tim Duncan on the court, Greg Popovich on the bench, but that has been a stable, well-run franchise. Uh, when you think about the my old Lakers teams, with 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 Doctor Bus at the controls, there was just a culture that was in place where you didn't have a lot of these off the court situations that really took away from the uh, the main goal of winning basketball games. And when you have situations like the Morris Twins, and, and there's been a lot of stuff going on there uh, in Phoenix, it, it's just not a good situation for anybody. Yeah. And I'm trying to pull up the standings as we speak. Um, the fact that New Orleans is in the mix, which, I mean, I'm glad. I hope they make the playoffs again. You know, they, they made it last year. Uh Got to play the eventual champion Warriors. Monty Williams, they, you know, decided to make a move and part ways with him and bring in Alvin Gentry, and it's just like, oh, boy, started off so rough. So uh, for AD's sake, and you and I tweeted about this for you, you tweeted me, I don't know, a month and a half ago about how horrible that roster is. Uh, and it is, you know, but Brian Anderson is, is playing good. Um, you know, Tyreek Evans, you, just, you never know what you can get with him. Um. So if they can overcome all of that, it must be. And right now they're fourteen and twenty-seven. Uh, so they are four games, still four games behind. Uh, a ton of time left. We're not even to the All-Star break yet. So you know, you'd like to see them be able to make a run. But the fact that they're to me in contention, it, it speaks to how surprisingly kind of me has been in the West. Uh, if this is last year in the West, they are, to me, dead, buried, and stinking already. And the East has kind of come up, and the West overall has kind of dipped a little bit. Uh, to me, because you can put, like, 
you know, 90% of the Western Conference used to would make the playoffs if they were in the East. And right now, Boston is 22-20. They got a better record than the 7th seed, to my East Rockets, and the 8th seed, uh, Utah Jazz. So, you know, it's, it's kind of maybe a, a little gradual power shift, a uh, shift of the balance thing in the NBA right now. Yeah, and, and and that's not unusual. Uh, we've seen that before, uh, in, particularly in the NBA. But you've seen that uh, when you look at you know even the NFL. You know, for a stretch when you and I were growing up, the NFC won thirteen, fourteen Super Bowls in a row, and a lot of them by blowout fashion. Uh, but then uh, you see Ben Roethlisberger, uh, uh, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning come to the AFC, and those three guys, I think it's 12 out of the last 13 Super Bowls, those guys have played in it and won a few of them. So uh, I think it kind of ebbs and flows because uh, the West uh, and the NBA was so good for so long uh, here recently. They were on a pretty good run that uh, I think it's caught a lot of people off guard that now the East uh, is starting to flex their wings because the West really has gotten older, uh, except for Golden State. San Antonio is older. Uh, yeah. You know, the Portland's had some issues. So there's a lot of issues. Memphis, I think, uh, is a great example of that now that Zach Randolph is, is coming off the bench. And yeah. they've kind of gone away from that Randolph Gasol. Uh, combo that got them some deep runs into the playoffs, and and on the eastern side you see that the uh, like the uh, the Wizards and, and John Wall they're really coming into their own. Uh, Atlanta is building off what they did last year, uh, so they've got some great young players on the eastern side, uh, as well as some great coaches, and we're finally seeing those teams uh, develop. And. Like it has kind of maybe, like you said, these things do ebb and flow. Um, because back in back in the seventies in the NFL, for those who are really old, older than us, believe it or not, it was Steelers, Raiders, and Dolphins, and you know the AFC, even Baltimore Colts. They you know went on a huge run, and then like you said, the NFC got a hold and got control, and now uh, the AFC is kind of going back and forth. East is just. I mean, from one through eight in Cleveland, there isn't there isn't a lot of separation. Uh, Cleveland's the number one seed. Toronto's three back. Boston is the eighth seed, and they're only seven and a half games behind Cleveland. And then you got one, four, five teams within four games of Boston for that eighth spot: uh, Orlando, New York, Washington, Charlotte, and Milwaukee all within four games in Boston. So this could set up to be, you know, how baseball tries to make it fun with not only one wild card now, but two to where you have a lot of cities, a lot of fans, scoreboard watching and seeing who did what. Oh, did we pick up a game on this team? And we need to jump over two or three teams and have a little help. It could be that way in the East this year, the way everybody's just kind of, Crammed together. Yeah, uh, and and that's the, I think the the 
beauty of the, the playoffs, particularly in the NBA, is uh, you, a lot of teams have shot uh, of not only getting in but, but playing. And if you're a young team like the Pelicans last year, getting some of that experience. Yes, you know, they were swept by Golden State, uh, but there were a couple of games where they were they were pretty competitive, and it's always good experience yeah. that you want your uh, your team uh, to have. And I think it's one of those things that uh, when you look at young players that did get some playoff experience, it helped. And then you have some some guys that that couldn't quite get into the playoffs, and I think that it kind of stunted their development. Now, before I say this, I'm not comparing the two as basketball players, but you look at Michael Jordan, and you remember the Bulls weren't very good when he got there, but everybody remembers the 63 points he scored against Boston. Yes, they lost that series, but getting into the playoffs, playing against those better teams when they're locked in, because everybody will tell you, you know, playoffs, it's a different animal than the regular season, I think helps. But you look at a player like Sharif Abdul-Rahim, again, not putting him in the same class as Michael Jordan, but with his, uh, you know, he was a kind of a 2010 guy in Vancouver, not getting into the playoffs, and I think his game kind of plateaued. Uh, it, it's like if you've got a race car and you never really get it to the, you know, fifth or sixth gear, uh, you know, soon enough it's not going to be able to do that. And I think that's what happens with your young basketball players, uh, particularly not getting into the uh, playoffs. Yeah, definitely the case. They never, they never experienced that next level. So, uh, like you said, that could definitely, that could definitely happen. Now, real quick, man, then jump over to, to Kate Arkansas, and then I got a high basketball question from a tweet I saw. I got to out there as well. The fact that Golden State, I mean, you know, reeled off 24 in a row, and sitting at 38 and 4 now, you know, as we speak, and they just beat Cleveland's brains in, you know, last time out. They played Chicago tonight, but beat Cleveland worse in Cleveland than they did out in Oakland on Christmas Day. I mean, they went in there and just jumped on them from. Get go, and you talk about like you said a '96 team and, and, and good teams and experienced teams crowd out of the game. You know, Cleveland fans were leaving the queue you know, in the third quarter, uh, and they, you know they cruised to like a 34 point win, something like that. Uh, and all of that said, 38 and four, but look, I mean San Antonio 36 and six, two games behind them. I mean, just set the world on fire, and then San Antonio is breathing right down their neck. That is crazy. They're playing 900 basketball in Golden State. 900 basketball, 90.5 winning percentage, and San Antonio is two games back. Well, and that's the thing uh, about the Spurs. They, they're making a transition with Duncan getting some mileage on, through, through drafting and, and being shrewd, uh, they, and I'm going to say this because I'm a Laker homer, but they are kind of taking a page out of the Lakers book, what they used to do, and have a solid plan in place for replacing an all-time great. Uh, 
whereas the Lakers, you know, here with Kobe, it was pretty much we're going to go with Kobe as far as we can until his legs simply can't do it, and then we'll figure something out. Well, you've got to ease in, you know, the next generation. You've got to to, to work with that, and uh, and that's what the Spurs are doing. Uh, is, is Tim Duncan as dominant as he was, you know, uh, a few years ago? No, uh, but I, I can't remember who pointed it out on ESPN. You know, the the Pistons uh, retired Ben Wallace's jersey the other night, and then you have to think, you know, he was guarding Tim Duncan in the finals in 2004 <laughs> or 2003. So, you know, you have to think. It's like Tim Duncan is still playing. Tony Parker, you know, those guys that – you put that in perspective, and that's what the Spurs' greatness has should uh, you bring about those odd situations. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and you know this is exactly the way the Spurs want it. I mean, and it's, it's just happened to work out that they haven't faced each other yet. And, of course, everybody is looking, you know, ahead to that one when they meet the regular season. But, you know, the Spurs are just, just rolling along. Like you said, they made some big moves. Uh, Marcus Aldridge going down there, like you said, and it's, it's beyond wise. Uh, David West basically going down there to play for a, a peanut or two. I think he's making barely a billion dollars. Uh, and he is no joke, no slouch. Had another power forward spy. I mean, you just throw him out there occasionally. You know, he's going to knock down a mid-range jumper. And you know, get some rebounds and mix it up. Uh, and Kawhi Leonard has just blossomed, you know, the, the same way, <laughs> the same way Tony Parker blossomed uh, years back. Me and my dad talk about it all the time. You know, he said he always said it. You know, all this back when it was happening, all the Tony Parker trading for Jason Kidd, trading TP to the Nets for Jay Kidd, and that was like, ain't no way I would trade that Parker. For Jason Kidd, and this is you know before Tony Parker came into his own. Now you got Kawhi Leonard coming into his own the same way uh, Parker did, and it just it just the beat doesn't stop for them. Are you are you there? Yeah, I was just saying that that the, the beat doesn't stop for uh, the Spurs. Because you know, Kawhi Leonard is coming to his own the same way Tony Parker did, you know, when he was 19, and they were talking about him being the next great point guard, and, and he blossomed into the player that they uh, projected him to be, and now Kawhi Leonard is doing the same thing. Charles Barkley called him the best player in the world yesterday, uh, and just saying the beat doesn't stop for the Spurs. Like Adam Mark Saunders and David West, and you know, it's it just one smart move after another. Right, and it, and it's great to see a franchise being run that way when there's so many franchises that that just don't get it. You know, you wouldn't think it would be that hard to to have a plan, stick to it, uh, but it is, and and you can see that with so many franchises in my mind just being poorly run. Whatever uh, sport you look at, uh, the teams that are the most successful have been the most successful. Uh, like I said. I keep saying it. I'm going to say it every week. They have an identity. They know what they're doing. You know, uh, when you look at what San Antonio, the run they've been on, uh, 
uh, a lot of uh, you know my Twitter followers and that kind of thing don't want me to say this, but you look at the the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, <laughs> they have seen all-time great players go. They have seen uh, all-time great managers come and go. Uh, you know, here the last ten or fifteen years, but they're they're still on a pretty good run. You know, they're still getting to the the playoffs, still getting to the uh, LCS, uh, you know, division series and whatnot, uh, because the front office knows what they are doing and, and are committed to the long term plan. Absolutely. Um, switch to tomorrow night as we see uh, Wildcats in action again. Down in Fayetteville against Arkansas Razorbacks, and as crazy as this sounds, Billy Gillespie is one down in front of Walton Arena. John Calipari is not. Um, we've seen off the college basketball how teams are different away from home. Kansas got beat down last night by Oklahoma State. Uh, everybody in the top 25 is losing. Uh, from the Dukes, the uh, Michigan State, Xavier, you name it, everybody's taking lumps. Uh, everybody's kind of searching and trying to find themselves. But what do you, you see happening tomorrow night uh, from Kentucky standpoint? Well, I, I've not, I, I, honestly, I, I've not seen Arkansas play this year. But as you said, Arkansas, for whatever reason, has become that that kryptonite for Cal. Uh, lots of games that, that that have kind of gotten away uh, from us. So I, I I don't know. I'd like to think that they have this figured out, but we'll we'll see. Uh, I think it would be uh, I say a very good thing for the Big Blue Nation's mindset for them to take care of business in Bud Walton Arena. Um, because as we get closer to, you know, the midpoint of the, the conference season, uh, you know, folks are going to start panicking. Even though we have seen regular seasons that haven't been spectacular, uh, you know, Cal has tweaked and poked and prodded, uh, you know, his teams to, to success. So my thing is you really can't judge a Cal team until March. Uh, but tomorrow night, I would love to see, and we've talked about this before. We've got to see something out of the the, the bigs. The, the fours have to do something. I am not convinced that that Cal or, or the other coaches want Tyler Ulis shooting, you know, seventeen times a game, or Jamal Murray twenty plus shots a game. I don't believe that's going to be the recipe for success for this team, but. They, they've kind of had to. I, I firmly believe that Tyler Ewis is shooting more than he really wants to shoot. When you looked at what he did last year, uh, he was – you know, if he hit a couple of shots, that was a bonus, but he was coming in still running the offense and that kind of thing. I think that's what he would prefer to do. But if you're not getting anything from the forward position, uh, the forward center, you know, your post players – uh, this team just doesn't have the talent to really overcome that. Uh, so it's go- it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens. You know, Cal 
talk, you know, when he came to Kentucky, everybody talked about his guards, and, and he has seen that continue. But we've had a very, very good run, a big myth, uh, since Cal has been in Lexington. Even, you know, people don't like to admit it, uh, but in 2013, you you look at Nerland's Noel and what he's doing now, uh, he you could put on that list of, 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 of very, very good to great Cal big men. And this team is the one team that, that doesn't really have that. Uh, you know, some people might say that 2011 with, with Josh Harrelson, you could almost put up there. But he did his role. He played that role very well. And Terrence Jones, I think, still is, is very underrated for what he did for his two years uh, in Lexington. Uh, but tomorrow I think we'll see hopefully Scal come along. I would love to see Alex be good Alex, uh, like on the road at Alabama earlier this year. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, the guards just kind of have to take on most of the load. Uh, unless they discern that that the big are bringing, unless they, you know, and, you know, Tyler Ulis, you know, being the, the smart high IQ point guard that he is, you know, he knows who's hot and who's not, and, and he knows, you know, if, if you dump it down to Alex a couple times and, and, and you see him being good, Alex, well, you know, you're gonna see that well, and then ride that, you know, for the duration of the game. If you see that it's not happening for for Alex and Marcus, then you know that you know him and Jamal got to try to try to do it. So that's that's kind of where we are, kind of where we've been, and, and like you say, just gotta wait and see uh, who does show up tomorrow night. Well, it, and the thing is, I don't say this this team. The offensive options are good, but I think a little limited. Whereas with previous teams, there were multiple players that could really do damage. Uh, but right now, you know, teams can focus in on uh, really on Ulis and 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 Murray. You know, to some extent Briscoe, but but who else is going to beat their man off the dribble? You know, nobody in the post. You can. You, there's nobody you can throw it to and go get a bat and go get a basket. But but who else? Derek Willis played incredibly well at Auburn, but I, for me that's that's fool's gold. I, I, I love the kid. And I know he's playing well, but for this team to be successful, I, I really don't think that going forward, expecting Derek Willis to get a double double, I don't think that's the way this team is going to be successful. And, I, and I'm not knocking him. I, I understand uh, what he brings to the table. But this was, uh, I think it was the 2013 team with, with, you know, Jared Polson playing a lot of minutes. Love the kid. But if he is, is playing these kinds of minutes, that's not necessarily a good a good thing for the team. Right, right. And, you know, Best-case scenario, hopefully that um, Derek can build on this going forward like what we've hoped to see Scal do, you know. Uh, and like I said, we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, it seems like this year that, 
you know, Cal has come out and said, you know, this is my rotation. And, you know, you have certain guys who have, you know, earlier in the season earned some minutes, earned some playing time. And and then when they get it, then you, you don't see them do what they did to get it. You see them kind of loosen the grip on what they did, whether it be defensively or offensively. And then you see Cal reshuffling things again. Um, you know, Willis may have earned himself some minutes last last game out against Auburn. Now you hope he continues, uh, you know, and everybody continues because uh, he's looking. He, you know, the minutes are there. Cal is searching. Nothing is set in stone because of all the inconsistencies. So, it, it, you know, when guys get minutes and work themselves into positions to play, you just want to see them consistently do what they did to get there. And then that's kind of what we're still looking forward to, you know, still a lot of things as well, but that's what everybody's kind of working towards right now. Right, and I, uh, I know we had to let uh, Cameron go uh, earlier, but I think Cal likes this aspect of of getting these guys and like a mad scientist figuring it out. I think he enjoys that, that challenge. Now, what we're seeing with Duke having their historically bad troubles this year is yeah. how difficult it is to do what Cal is doing. Yes, you know, you can get your one and done. You can have that catch lightning in a bottle and have that great run to the title like Duke had. But then you follow up the next year, and, and that roster doesn't come together as easy. You have totally different personalities with totally different motivations, and it's not as easy as people think. And I believe if you hooked Coach K up, you know, and made him tell the truth, he would tell you. He probably didn't think it was going to be this difficult. Cal, and this is his own game plan, every year he's figuring this stuff out on the fly. And he talks about, he's talked about it, you know, some post-game press conferences, how limited, you know, these guys are at this stage because he's still kind of teaching basics and in, in, in bringing uh, the, the freshmen and, and some of the other guys up to speed on just the basics of how to play basketball at this level. Not so much, you know, team play, that kind of thing, but it's, it's fairly basic. Now, when you see when, when Cal has some guys that have been in the system a while, you have last year's team. So uh, where he can work on things uh, uh, differently. But I think he enjoys it. Otherwise, he would have a different approach. He's been successful at it. And and for my money, I, I still think this team goes on a, a, a deep run. Uh, how that happens, I have no idea. But I didn't see the other great runs coming uh, either. Uh, you know, I, I think – that people get so down during the regular season, you know, a loss to Auburn here. And, you know, we look back on those 2014, 2011 teams, and we were just as down when they were having losses. You know, after the the Baylor loss, you know, in 2014, people were just disheartened, you know, and and dropping games to, to, to teams they shouldn't have, you know, at Arkansas and all this kind of thing. Uh, but you can you can erase that, and that would be 
uh, if I was a coach that uh, you know, if I was Cal or one of his assistants, hey, you know, Auburn is in the past. We've got to move forward. We can still do what we want to do. We can still make this right. Uh, the thing is, if the Cats struggle the regular season, you know the NCAA is going to – I don't want to say they stack the deck, but they they will stack the deck. And, uh, so you, I mean, look, you, you if anybody can look at the 2011 seeding and the 2014 seeding and tell me they the NCAA did not stack the deck against Kentucky, I, you know what? I'm not buying that. Uh, uh, I'm not usually a conspiracy guy, but when you look at the teams they had to go through to do what they did, come on. All that being said is all is not lost on this team. Right. My thing is, Scal right now does not need to be a world beater. He does not need to be a 20-10 and 10 guy. If he can get a consistent 10-6, and six, and I know that's kind of asking, all, but if he can do that, this team can be successful. If he can do something to open up the middle and, and take some of the pressure off of the guards, this is a totally different team. And you saw that against Duke when uh, your post players are playing well. That really, really opens up the floor for Murray and for Ulysses. Who both those guys, you know, if you if you give them space, they're going to create for you. So I, I just think if Scal does that, and if and if Alex just gives us anything, if if the two of those guys can become ten and six guys, this team is a Final Four team. You know, this year the, the college basketball is not that great. We have seen a lot wow. of teams lose. If you touched on it earlier. And that's my whole mindset is there's no great team out there. We have seen every team in the country look fantastic for a night. We have seen that same team look horrific and lose to a team they probably shouldn't have lost to. So Kentucky fans getting on Kentucky because of Auburn, I've seen Kansas lose games. I've seen Michigan State lose games. I've seen all these teams lose games they probably shouldn't have lost. That's the way this year is. This is a 2011 year where I think at least one or two Final Four teams will go into the tournament unranked. I I think it's kind of that wide open. So if the Cats can figure it out, and like Cam said, the talent is there. It's not a matter of, of, uh, you know, coaching up, I don't want to say regular players, but – the talent is there. It's it's for Cal and, and the coaches. It's just a matter of getting the ingredients right uh, to get this team to be what it needs to be. And and for my money, I'm going to put my money on Cal. For every NIT Robert Morris, there's four Final Four. So I'm going to believe with what I've seen before. Uh, that's just me. Definitely. Um, one more flashback thing I meant to ask you back when, when we were both out, because um, you you're out when we got out. We we up to the Louisville game, and that was the question I put out on the show. What is your frame of mind after Kentucky plays the last game they play before they play Louisville? In this case, it's Ohio State. What is your frame of mind after 
that game, the week of the Louisville game, what's your frame of mind? And then what do you like the day of the Louisville game? Are you kind of tense? Especially you, live, you living in Louisville, are you are you fired up all week? Are you kind of chill all week until the game starts? How how do you approach that each and every year? Well, for me, and I think a lot of the uh, Kentucky fans in Louisville that I've spoken with, the Louisville-Kentucky game, thanks to social media and a lot of things, it is almost uh, not fun. It's almost not enjoyable to uh, the, the game. Uh, and I've said this before, playing Louisville in the tournament, is it's, I hate it. And, and I'm saying that, and we've won both of those recent matchups. I absolutely yeah. hate that game. It, it's almost too much. That being said, uh, you know, the day before, day of the game, uh, I like tweeting out and, you know, and saying to Louisville fans, even if Louisville wins, you know, at that point Cal was 7-1. and one. I said either it's 7-2 and two or it's 8-1. and one. Either way, it's not much of a rivalry right now. So when the horn finally sounds, there's that, that relief, and you say, you know, you know, this team wasn't the world beaters that some of Cal's other teams are. And if, if Rick can't – and he did a good job putting the Cardinals in a, in, a, in a spot to win, obviously this year coming down to that, that missed last-second shot. But if you, if you can't beat this team, we know that the, the next year's team with those recruits coming in uh, will be – I think on the talent level was, you know, the talent and depth more than what we're accustomed to for Kentucky teams. So if you can't beat this year's team, you may not have a legitimate shot for a couple of years. And it's like I told some of my Louisville fans, it's like, uh, friends, you know, Cal's only going to have a team that, that Rick can beat every couple of years. <laughs> not saying that, that Louisville can't win any of those games, but Louisville won't be favored except, you know, every couple of years in this series as long as if Cal is there. I think that's safe to say. So if you don't beat one of those quote-unquote down teams, you're you're not going to beat the talented teams. I was nervous we were going to lose this game. After Ohio State, I was nervous, Uh, which which is different. Last year, I knew we would win. Uh, uh, Even 2014, we weren't playing great. I knew we would win. Uh, Of course, the 2013 team, we almost won that game. Yeah. But uh, I think my favorite game since Cal has been there was the Jorts going off for 23 points at the Yum Center. Yeah. You know, people talk about Cal can't coach. Watch that game because up until that point, George was just the kind of uh, he was there. You know, whatever you got out of him, and you know, I, and I love the guy, and I'm not trying to say anything negative, but he, you, that was I think in the if you look at the rivalry since '83, that performance from George has to be one of the most surprising. You know, I don't know what yeah. it is that. 
No doubt. I don't know where his point total kind of ranks, you know, in the series point total. But if you look at guys that have scored at least 23 points in this series, that would be the name that would just jump out and say, what? <laughs> and, and, and and Cal, that game wasn't even close. No. Uh, that game, it, it, I think it was the one game in the series that it was over at the half and never really got close. Yeah, they put it on them. Just and dice them, you know, it, it, the whole game just picked them apart. And and that's where Cal really started tweaking with the pick and roll between uh, Brandon Knight and, and Jorts and and Deron Lamb and uh, Darius Miller kind of on the wings. And, again, I say Terrence Jones – Really, really underrated. A lot of people think about him this first part of his freshman year where there was a lot of posing, a lot of flexing, and not a lot of people remember even that loss to uh, Connecticut in the Final Four. He had 18 rebounds out there. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's like this is the, the Terrence Jones that, you know, people don't talk about is, you know, he, he was putting in work toward the end of the year in 2011, which I think definitely set the table for 2012, where right. uh, with with that pick-and-roll action, you know, Terrence Jones wasn't getting the ball like he was at the beginning of the year, like he was used to in high school. So he had to learn how to play differently, which I think worked real well when Anthony Davis came and was doing his thing, and again, that helped Terrence Jones learn how to play, you know, without the ball, maybe not as the initial option. And I think that has what has served him well in his NBA career. So uh, there's there's things like that, and I know I've kind of gone off on a little tangent here, uh, but the, the Louisville game, it, it's almost too painful to watch, yet I do. But it's 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 never so much about the joy of winning. It's just we we didn't lose because <laughs> you sound like a you sound like a coach. <laughs> Do what? You, you sound like a coach. Just relief. <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 for global fans in Kentucky, because here's the thing, and then I'm gonna get on my soapbox here. We 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 talk about this. We are at the point, and I'm gonna write about this uh, for on Wildcat Blue Nation. We're at the point where the uh, the folks that say John Calipari can't coach, we're gonna we're we're about at that point where they're gonna join the flat Earth Society and <laughs> the people denying climate change and the 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 nine eleven truthers and the Obama Earthers, where they're almost at that point where what they say is so far removed from the norm that I would rather them just say to me, and I've said this to a lot of Louisville fans, just say you don't like Cal. That's okay. <laughs> say you don't uh, like him. But when you say he can't coach, and he's doing things, again, that put him on the short list with Coach K and John Wooden, you're, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, uh, a friend of mine talks about uh, – you know, Cal at Memphis. 
And, and you know, once they once Louisville law left Conference USA, and the you know the talent was down, you know, as far as team, but Cal was still winning thirty games a year at Memphis. And I don't care what nope. conference you play in, thirty games, winning thirty games a year, that is ridiculous. You know, he had a streak. I believe it was with seven seasons of thirty plus wins that was broken by the 2010-2011 Kentucky team. And, oh, yeah, he just took that team to the Final Four. So to say he can't coach, it's such a ridiculous statement. All he does is roll the ball out. And like I said earlier, you look at what Coach K is going through this year, and then you have to say, you know what, rebuilding your roster every year, that's incredibly difficult. But he's doing it. He's having this success. So when you say Cal can't coach, you're you're telling on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. We got a couple minutes left. Uh, we go over a couple minutes. You know, I'll be on the podcast, which is blogtalkradio.com/slash/catstalk. You will find out links to this specific episode as well. But either way. Uh, you can get access uh, to what little bit we have that goes past 8 o'clock. I got to close with something I saw a couple of days ago uh, on Twitter. And it was from Bluegrass Basketball, uh, at Bluegrass B-Ball on Twitter. Like I said, this is some, some high school stuff. And basically they just, they cover Kentucky High School basketball. Facts, updates, pictures, and says. They cover all 16 regions in the state. So if you're neck of the woods, down to my neck of the woods, they'll throw some trivia out there, things like that. This was a, a, a tweet from one of the Facebook posts from last year. you gotta got to put your, your fantasy basketball uh, cap on because they do it based on salary, and they've got guys lumped in the guards, your forwards and centers. Um, each ranging from $1 to $5. I just retweeted it on our show link, our Twitter, Cat Talk Wednesday. I replied and answered and put my two cents in on my personal Twitter the other day. But starting with the guards, and this is back through the years of recent in our home state of Kentucky, starting at guards, uh, the guards that are $5, Allen Houston, King Kelly Coleman are both $5. At $4, you have Chris Lofton and Butch Beard. $3, Richie Farmer and Daryl Griffith. $2, Corey Creason and Frank Ramsey. $1, John Miller Cooper and Frank Selby. You move to the forwards, $5 forwards are Wallace. Wawa Jones and Zach Givens, $4. Wesley Cox and Ralph Beard, $3. Mike Silliman and Ralph Richardson, $2. Todd Bay, Corky Winthrow, $4. Billy Ray Cassidy and Alex Johnson. You move to the center position, $5 center, and you will know Seneca's own West Huntsville. $4, then McDaniels, 
$3, J.R. Van Hoos. He played for Pinkwood State, title of 96, my senior year. $2, Marion Cluggish. And $1, Harry Todd. Now, you know, so we don't know where everyone is. Guys, a lot of guys we do know. You know, we're in some with the U.K. and all that. But you got $20 to spend, and you have to pick a starting five from all of those guys. So I just thought it was something that was neat, and, you know, you might want to have it in front of you, but, you know, what would be your, your starting five if you've been doing Kentucky High School list? That's a notable thought. I, I, you know, I'm I'm bringing Wes Unseld in. That's my first round draft pick. I'm going to do that seven days a week, twice on Sundays, and, and then again on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, that's that's five, that's five dollars yeah. off my balance right there. Okay. Give give me Wes. Yeah. I, I'm a homer. Yeah. I'm yes. There, give me <laughs> give me him for five. Uh huh. So you got fifteen dollars left. Well, and the thing is, some of these some of these folks I I've heard of, but I, I you know I didn't get to see them play, so I don't uh, so I don't feel beyond that because most of if what I'm going to do after that I, I'm going to lean uh, I'm going to be definitely a little bit more Louisville biased, right? Uh, just because particularly in high school that's kind of where. You know, those names I've heard, and I've actually kind of seen these guys play. Yeah. I uh, I went, uh, let me see, because I tweeted them back. Let me find it. I went, uh, I kind of, I, well, I kind of mixed it up uh, as far as the regions. With my guard, I took Allen Houston at one guard. He was $5. Uh, my other guard spot, I took Richard Farmer, uh, Southeast Kentucky guy, Clay County, right across the mountain in Manchester. And in my opinion, I mean, I, I know we had some, some heavy hitters on here. Keen Kelly Coleman is a legend. I've heard about him all my life. Richie Farmer at $3 is a steal. I mean, I mean are you kidding me? Uh, Richie was $3. I think Chris Lawson was $4. But I got I got Houston and Richie Farmer as my guard. My forward, I went Wawa Jones because uh, you know Harlan County. I gotta stay home with that, even though he was a Harlan Green Dragon, who before all the food, you know consolidated. You know Cumberland and Harlan are huge rivals, but you can't dismiss what Wawa Jones did ever at Harlan and on at UK. So I got Wawa at my other forward spot. And he was five dollars. I wanted to take Jack Gibbons at my other one, but I didn't have enough money. Uh, so I took Todd May. I think he's from Pikeville, Paintsville area. Balled out in the eighties, went to UK, but just was a small town guy. Went and, and left UK, played small college ball, and, and lit it up. I think at the NAIA level. I, I did read up on him a little bit, and. At my center, I'm taking Wes Unsell as well. So I got I got two Louisville guys, the Allen Houston, Wes Unsell, two Southeast, well, three Southeast Kentucky guys, Rich Farmer, Wallace Jones, and Todd May. And that's how I spent my $20. And the only reason Jack Gibbons isn't there is just because he was, I think, $5, and I just couldn't. 
I couldn't have all five dollars. I had to drop down in price on somebody, you know, with the fantasy factor coming in where you can only spend twenty dollars on all five players. Right. And and I know we're running short on time, but let's uh I would feel bad if we overlooked the University of Kentucky cheerleaders that yeah. won their twenty first uh national UCA championship uh this past weekend. Uh so they have won uh, 21 titles in 30 years, and I don't think they finished any out of the top five in any given year. So that is a stretch of dominance and a culture that is just wow. Just and I don't want to pretend to know uh, that I know or understand cheerleading. I just know that those young men and young women in the blue and white, they're pretty good at it. So. Definitely shout out Coach Thompson and all those folks involved with the uh, Kentucky cheerleading program. Absolutely, they are only they're only six behind the Yankees, and the Yankees have taken them centuries, almost a century, to win their twenty-seven, and they've done it in thirty years with twenty-one. And the most amazing thing is, a couple of years ago, they had a reality show. Uh, I can't remember the channel, but it was a reality show on the Kentucky cheerleaders and how every year, you know, the cheerleaders have to try out. And it was following some of these, you know, high school kids that were trying to make the team. And it was basically if you make it to a certain point in the Kentucky tryout process, you're almost guaranteed a scholarship anywhere else if you just make it to this point. <laughs> and I, I mean, it, it's 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 like, you know, it, it, I, I thought that was the most bizarre thing ever, but it was true. Uh, this I remember this girl, she was crying, she didn't make it, but she said, now I'll be able to go to X, Y, and Z, you know, on a scholarship just because I made it this far. Wow. If, if that doesn't speak to the, the dominance of, the, of this program, I don't think anything does. Well, you've got the titles to back it up, but just the overall what they expect out of the cheerleaders – it's just pretty fascinating stuff. So that's the that's the level of excellence we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you make it to this point, and then they, the, and it wasn't. Uh, so, so the coaches weren't talking about it like a like a, a bragging kind of thing. They were just saying, "Oh yeah, you'll be able to go find a spot, you know, at a, at a different school." So uh, <laughs> definitely, the university is more than just basketball. We see that. Uh, even though that myth sometimes uh, still persists. Uh, but, hey, they're bringing home the hardware, and I believe at the Vanderbilt game on Saturday they will be they will be honored uh, at some point. Uh, not like they won't already be there, but they will be honored <laughs> to, uh, uh, you know, during, during one of the breaks or at halftime or something uh, as they add another year to their own championship banner. Yeah, I appreciate that you mentioned that. I had it written down on a sheet of paper that I shuffled and just didn't even see again once the show started. So definitely appreciate you bringing that up and giving props to Kentucky Cheer, Coach Jonah Thompson. Much served props for everybody involved with the Kentucky Cheer team. And let's also just real quick, we got to send out your well wishes to Chris Mortensen. Shocking news that he is battling throat cancer and taking a leave 
right during the playoffs, which you probably think maybe his favorite time of year, but he's a class act and always see him bringing the reports and, and cite the news and uh, along with Adam Schefter, but dude, hate not being able to see more for a while, but hopefully uh, he can be cancer and come back stronger than he would. Certainly, certainly. We do wish uh, him a speedy recovery. That's going to do it, man. Uh, Got to tell everybody to check you out on WildcatsNation.com. Both of us right for CameronMillsRadio.com. And you just got to remember to check out. Uh, we'll post all our articles on all our forms and social media. He tweets them out on his Twitter. Uh, I tweet them on mine. We got Cat Talk Wednesday Twitter and Facebook pages. So uh, check out everything there. Check out the new CameronMillsRadio.com. I'm looking forward to, to diving in there and, and put some content up. And thanks again uh, to Cameron Mills for having us and for coming on tonight. And thanks also to Jesse Reed for hopping on the show. So y'all can do the Niners thing. Y'all can collaborate on all things. Garnets and gold. That's right. Another great show with some great guests. So another good week. That's going to wrap it up. For Terry T.B. Brown, this is Benny Hardy. Uh, both of us hit game with the jumpers in our last basketball game. We might talk about that again in future shows. Uh, both of us still trying to, to stay lubed up enough to get up and down the court and have a little fun. I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks again to our guests. Have a good night, everybody. Be safe in the inclement weather, and we'll see you all next Wednesday on Cat Talk Wednesday on the Brown and Hall Radio Network, blocktalkradio.com. <laughs>